Hi, welcome to Beef Cattle Institute's Cattle Chat. We're happy to have you with us today. I'm Brad White and joined by Good Crew today. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, guys. Philip. Hello, guys. Bob. Good morning. I'll have to call you Larson and Weber for this podcast. Yeah, great, having, great having you back. So uh, Bob Weber gets to join us occasionally. And we have a very special guest today, Dr. Rory Peter, who is the executive director for the Global Roundtable for Sustainable Beef. Good morning, Rory. Good day. How are you? Good. I appreciate you not correcting me because it's morning where we are and not morning where you are. So we're happy. We're happy to have you with us. And, and we're going to get a chance to learn a little bit about you and what you do with the Global Roundtable for Sustainable Beef. Both Bob and Philip also work on the Global Round or the U.S. Roundtable for Sustainable Beef. So we'll learn a little bit about that. I also wanted to dive into one of the questions that we've had and thinking about what's the role of genetics and sustainability. And finally, we're going to talk a little bit about what can I do as a producer? So what are some of the things as a producer that, that I could do and, and make a difference in the sustainability forefront? So as we come into all this talk about sustainability for cattle, I actually want to shift a little bit and I want to talk about food. So we're coming up on holiday season. Some of the holiday treats are coming out, cookies, sweets, salty. I want to know what is the thing that you look forward to as a snack in the holidays? Not a main dish, but what's your favorite snack in the holiday season? And Bob, I'm going to start with you. Oh, this is actually pretty easy. We do a lot of the the chocolate covered uh, pretzels and so oh, i love that you got the sweet and the salty and everything so just keep bringing those chocolate covered pretzels i was going to ask sweet or salty and you picked uh, both both all right yeah. philip so yeah I, we do those too and i like those but my mom makes a cookie called a monster cookie and it's oatmeal and peanut butter and m&ms and chocolate chips and that is those, a meal. Those are a favorite around the house. Yeah, and That's there's no reason your mom couldn't make some for us. <laughs> <laughs> we could judge those. Bob? Um, I'm uh, sort of, I, I like the salty, savory sort of stuff. So uh, my wife makes a really good sort of Chex Mix kind of thing. It's a little different, but um, it's it's really good. I, I, I like that and, and once in a while, my wife will make like that. She makes the regular Chex Mix really, really well. And once in a while, they'll make she'll make like a spicy version, mm -hmm. which yeah. is really, really good for snacking while you're watching football or whatever you're watching. Yeah. Rory, what about you? So I, I think I'm on the salty side of the equation. I'm, yeah, I find sugar after a while, it gets too much. So I'll look for salted nuts or something like that as a snack usually. Excellent. So we appreciate you making time and, and joining us and and. Tell us a little bit about you and kind of your background, and then we'll dive into the Global Roundtable. Sure. So I, I grew up in Scotland, in the West Highlands of Scotland. Um, got involved in farming from a sort of early age. We didn't didn't have a family farm, but I grew up uh, surrounded by a farming community. So I got involved and became eventually a farm manager on a beef and sheep uh, properties uh, in Scotland, in the southwest of Scotland. And I also traveled and worked on sheep and beef farms in New Zealand and big cattle ranches in the northern part of Australia. So, so I have that sort of production background. And then I, uh, I studied a master's degree in Edinburgh and that took me off in a different direction. It took me more into development work and I worked overseas in Asia and Africa and, and various things. And it was while I was working in Africa that the, the Global Roundtable, or at least the group that eventually became the Global Roundtable, 
started up and I, I got involved in the early stages of that. And then in 2012, they asked me if I wanted to become the executive director. And that's that's what I've been doing ever since. Excellent. So in that role, maybe tell us just a little bit, what is the Global Roundtable for Sustainable Beef and, and what do you do? Well, what the Global Roundtable does is it brings all of the stakeholders who matter in the beef industry together as much as we can get them uh, to talk about how to improve the sustainability of the beef industry. And that is everybody from the producers through the processors, the packers, the allied industry. So in other words, the people who supply you with inputs or finance or whatever, then the retailers, uh, the academics, people from K-State even, and then uh, we have civil society, so that that means the NGOs basically, and we have national groups. So we have the global roundtable. We're trying to do this on a global level, but what we recognized right at the beginning was it's going to be different everywhere, right? So we need to have those national roundtables as well. And we've now got uh, 13 of those in different countries, and, and they cover, some of them cover, cover a few countries, so 25 countries altogether. Excellent. So, and NGOs, non-governmental organizations, which same same here and kind of the same consistency here in the U.S. for the roundtable, you get all those stakeholders together and it's all focused on sustainability. So now I'm going to give you guys, I'm going to give each of you a challenge because I'm going to ask you to define sustainability in 15 words or less. Okay. So 15 words or less define sustainability. Who wants to go first? And I've, I've got one boot off, so I can so count. You can count 15 <laughs> words. Yeah. I right. took one boot off. I'm ready. It's got to be something along the lines of, wait a minute. Stop. That's eight. Okay. <laughs> Don't start counting yet. Basically, a, a beef production chain that can last well into the future uh, because it's profitable and, and meets the needs of society. More than I 15. need a buzzer. Yeah, I you're like 21. I think 15 is all right. Philip, give it a shot. So, um, I don't know if I can put a complete sentence together easily, but let's think about the, the concepts here. So, natural resources. We got to conserve natural resources. Um, it's got to be profitable and economical for the the producer itself, for and for everybody along the supply chain. And then um, it's got to meet the the needs of society from providing a value as far as say upcycling feed resources into high quality human food, and meet their expectations for our production system of animal welfare and those types of things. I like that you hit all the, you hit all the pillars, so you. You got them all in there, but you went over 15 words. Weber, Weber can do it. And, and Rory is working. He, he is working this out. He's going to have it. All right, yeah. Weber. I'm, I'm sort of a little like Philip. I'm kind of in the still in the word cloud space. And so I, I like the meets the needs of society. And so that, that covers a, a number of things. So, you know, animal welfare, um, high quality, nutritious product, the upcycling idea of ruminants in our uh, uh, food system that, you know, take non-human digestible foodstuffs and make them into a really high quality product, environmental impact, uh, land use, water use, profitability, kind of rural and social development, right? So how do we, um, you know, in the U.S., we, we still 
have these frontier communities that the economic development around ranching and cattle production is a really important important part of the vibrancy of that community um, how do we protect that how do we grow that um, and I think you know as you move into other parts of the world that development part from you know the cow as an economic engine um, I think has lots of uh, lots of future and lots of opportunity for so I'm way past 15 words but I noticed yeah. <laughs> I, ran. I had to take the other boot off <laughs> I took my other boot off Bob Larson's toes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rory, what, what have you got? I think 15 words may be too few, but it's a, that's why it's a challenge. Rory? Okay, producing beef to meet our needs today without compromising our ability to meet future societal needs. Whoa. That's fantastic. That's why he's the executive director. Yeah. So that was fantastic. That is that is actually one of the best definitions of sustainability good. that I've heard because you don't and fewer feel, words you, and fewer words, which can be better because sometimes on sustainability, I feel like we get lost in the forest, right? There's so many factors, and you say, well, I got to account for this, this, and this. But basically, what what Rory said, which I really like, producing beef today without compromising our ability to produce beef in the future. So that that's the theme of what you said. You, I didn't capture it as well, but. Excellent job. So as the global roundtable, what are some of the actions that you do to achieve that goal? And then I'm going to ask you guys how those coincide or differ from those on the U.S. roundtable. So, Rory, I'll let you go first. Yeah, the, the first thing we did was really to develop this network. And I think the network is is the crucial part of it. And so that that doesn't sound sexy, to be honest, developing a network. But without the people that are going to make it happen, you know, there's nothing that I can do sitting in an office somewhere. Uh, it, it all boils down to the people in the chain, right? Then we set a number of principles and criteria. So we went into a lot of the things that we just heard people mention in what is sustainable beef in a lot more than 15 words. I think we took about 12 pages to, to define it, you know, what are the principles and criteria. And then we set a number of goals, uh, so global goals, uh, and we pick the most important themes, the themes that are really, you know, come up not just uh, as a sort of issue du jour, but the things which come back all the time and they're climate, uh, they are nature positive production, which is a broad one, obviously, and then there is uh, animal welfare. And this year, we're also developing a goal on social impact. And, and with those four goals and, and clear targets, uh, we're driving the change. But where the action takes place is really on the ground in each of the member countries. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm going to come back to you guys on the, on the U.S. roundtable because I, I do want to talk about some of the genetics stuff. So the role of genetics and sustainability and, and Weber, I'm going to start with you on, on how does how do genetics play a role in meeting some of those goals that that Rory mentioned? Well, I think that's a great, great question, Brad. And I think one that particularly U.S. seed stock producers, I think, are, are grappling with a little bit to kind of get their heads around. You know, we spend a lot of time talking about you know greenhouse gas emissions and how do we mitigate those. And certainly genetics is, is part of that. But I think in, in sort of the spirit of, of, of Rory's um, really simple definition of kind of are, are getting our head around sustainability, I, I come back to the idea that it's really about how do we pick the genetics that best fit our production environment and meet our customers' needs without putting us in a corner long-term. Yeah, and, and Rory, have you, have you had discussions on the global level about the role of genetics and, and what are some of the thoughts there? Absolutely, we, we definitely do, and it's crucial. 
along with some of the simpler husbandry things, but genetics will make a huge difference. You've got to have the right cow in the right environment, obviously. We're, we're not saying there's a one-size-fit-all here, but um, having the cow that survives, uh, thrives in whatever environment you're in, the cow that can produce a calf every year. I mean, one of the biggest problems, if you look at some, like Southern Africa, where I was working previously, uh, the average is one calf every four years. You know, that's not sustainable. You've got, you got the maintenance requirements of a cow there who's not producing anything. So absolutely, genetics is critical to this. Yeah, because we, we sometimes get to thinking of refining some of the lower, you know, what are we saying? We say genetics or what are we doing? But you're right. If there are big issues like she's having a calf every other year, every four years, that's a huge difference than having a cow every year. But on the genetic side, some of it he mentioned fitting the cow to the environment. Yeah, adaptation. Bob, yeah. Bob and Philip, I want to ask you guys, what are, what are your thoughts on how do genetics play a role in that? How well do our cows fit with our environment? Because that utilizes how well we can graze and use that resource. Yeah, of course, I'm going to be kind of U.S.-centric. But even in the U.S., we have some pretty different uh, geographic opportunities and constraints, mainly rainfall, rainfall and forage type. Um, we go from relatively high rainfall areas to semi-desert or desert areas where we raise cattle. And that's actually one of the beautiful things about beef cattle is uh, they can really thrive in all those different environments, but it's not the same cow in every environment. It's a very different genetically put together cow. And that's also and why I'm really glad that Rory is, is leading up the, the global round table because he understands he's worked in desert areas, he's worked in high rainfall areas, and he knows that it's not the same cow, it's not the same production system that's most sustainable in that area. And some of the work that we have done, we've started kind of with the Great Plains area, which is fairly low rainfall, and but access to nutrient inputs that are, you know, not, you know, they're just a state away type of a thing. And so we've looked at milking ability and mature size as two ways of really kind of classifying what that is. And the interesting thing is even in our study, uh, we found that there's some differences depending on how available and the cost of bringing in nutrients beyond just the forages. And, and so meaning that if you, if you have the capacity to bring in additional nutrients, well, then you can use a higher production type of a cow. But if, you, if that's economically not feasible, well, then a lower maintenance type of a cow, which, you know, none of that's really rocket science, but it allows you to really start thinking through all of the inputs, uh, the, the, you know, starting with the forage that's growing, but then what other inputs are available and what's their cost and economic cost, but also carbon and other cost as well. Yeah, because if you think about the, the breeding system and how do we use, you know, say heterosis and, and breed complementarity to fit cow to environment, calf to marketplace. Anytime we optimize the calf output and, you know, save, Rory, to your example, um, the maintenance cost and, and whatever emissions are with an open cow, that has a huge impact on any sustainability metric you want to calculate, right? So it's um, that intensity sort of perspective or efficiency perspective that really helps us. And it supports really stepping into the kind of the systems perspective like we did in, in some of our research to look at that um, impact of making sure that cow is the right cow. And this all ties into the fact that we're producing more beef now with less cows than we were 40 years ago. Yep. So Philip, Philip, what are your thoughts? Well, let's go back to like Rory's example uh, there that, you know, in the U.S., we we have a system 
in place where that in a in a in a I'll say society or social structure that that those things are we're able to make those improvements. You know, in lots of places around the world, it's it they don't have the right genetics. Say for example, like Rory's example in in uh, Southern Africa there. Because it's a it's a society or a government or, or some other in obstruction that is keeping them from being able to develop those. And so there's some big hurdles around the globe as far as trying to do those things that, that we are have a fairly good system and are, are fairly able to do here in the U.S. Maybe um, ask Rory, sometimes a view outside um, looking in is, is really helpful perspective. So maybe Rory, as you look at our U.S. system, what are, what are some opportunities um, maybe that we're leveraging or that we're not leveraging that we ought to think about from, from the genetic side? Yeah, it's dangerous for me to comment too much about what the U.S. does without, uh, without having ever been directly involved. And obviously, I've been to the U.S. a lot and I've looked at what you guys do and, uh, you know, you have a lot of efficiencies in that system and you have uh, but you have a huge focus on the feedlot uh, sector, which many other countries don't have, or at least not to the same extent that you do. So I guess the genetics that you're putting into that are are different. I think the thing that you're really taking advantage of in the U.S. at the moment that few others are doing to the same extent is the dairy, you know, beef on dairy. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see that uh, being more widely adopted in other big uh dairy producing countries because that is a massive saving in terms of sustainability yeah. uh, beef on dairy certainly for the feedlot sector makes a, a lot of sense i would say mm-hmm. yeah any anytime you can get two products out of the same maintenance cost it makes a huge difference in the sustainability of, of the, that system so and a lot of that ties into efficiency how do we handle that efficiency which leads me to my final question for you guys is so I'm listening to this. I'm a I'm a producer, and say I'm a producer here in the U.S. What can I do? What are give me give me an action that I can do to to be a little more sustainable, a little more involved? Well, you know my favorite answer, and that's reproductive efficiency. So I think the things that we do, such as breeding soundest exams of bulls, heifer development, I want a high percentage of my cows pregnant in a relatively short breeding season, and that that has a lot of benefits. It has some economic benefits, and then it, when you think about sustainability, I know it's not all about efficiency, but efficiency drives a lot of that. So uh, we were talking about maintenance cost. I want very few open cows because they consume, they consume resources and they don't produce anything of value. And so I'm going to start with reproductive efficiency. And, you know, that's been a message that we've had for uh, U.S. producers for a very long time. And I don't want to ever lose sight of that. Well, uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on the bandwagon of the U.S. roundtable. Continuous improvement. I don't know that there's, you know, for each individual producer there may be one thing that they could jump on that would make a big difference. But most likely there's, it's making imp- continuous improvement in several areas. And so it's just continually to focus on what you're doing. Try to do it well. Be aware of new technology and new practices that are available and, and work on trying to implement those and just continually improve your operation. Rory, what are, what are your thoughts? Well, I have to align them to our goals, I guess, because that, that's what we said. But um, I, I believe that a lot of people can, you know, what they could probably do is talk to their extension uh, department locally and remain curious. 
ultimately that's what's going to drive the change on your property. If you've if you've got a curiosity about how you can improve, you've got a desire to make things better, you've got a desire to be more profitable, your extension department can probably be the best advisor. I mean, I can't from this distance say what I think needs to happen on uh, you know, 400,000 different farms, but remain curious, keep asking questions, see what you can learn from your neighbors. That's that's an extreme, extremely nice example that I've seen from some films that Peter Bick made. Uh, you know, so, uh, sometimes neighbors don't talk as much as they could to each other. And there's always a wealth of information you can learn just right over the fence. Absolutely. And I, and I like that. And the, your stay curious goes right along with continuous improvement. Weber? Well, I, I, I like that theme, too, because I think a lot about the, the communication we do with our customers has a lot to do with demonstrating that we care. Right. And, and part of that comes down to as as a steward of resources, how do I make the best use of them? Um, and and a lot of that ties back to this idea of, of continuous improvement. How do I get more efficient? Um, how do I make better choices? And at the end of the day, that that's that's tied to a culture and a philosophy of um, inquisitiveness, of learning, uh, of measuring. Um, one of the things I'm always uh, impressed with when I travel abroad, uh, particularly to Australia and New Zealand, is the measurement mentality, right? So figuring out um, in my system what what things I need to make improvement in and then setting up a system to monitor and measure that improvement. And I think getting that mindset, that growth mindset of, okay, here's here's the system. I'm going to start measuring and managing the system um, goes a long ways to meeting um, a variety of sustainability uh, objectives. But it, it has a lot to do with the, the cultural mindset of, of how we run the business and how we interact with our stewardship of resources. So you guys are all, you guys are all bouncing around the same thing and saying, we're going to have continuous improvement to do that. I've got to be able to measure it, but to really get to the next step, I've got to be curious about it. And I like what Bob said in that I'm already probably doing some sustainability stuff. I just haven't called it that. Put the name on it. Right? And, yeah, exactly. and, and even the way that Rory defined it is I'm trying to produce beef in a way today that I can continue producing beef long into the future, which is what many ranches, that's their overall goal. Right. I want to be it has been for, for a couple of generations for or generations. More. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. You want to do this. So I think some of the sustainability stuff, sometimes we we put so much around it that it, at the core, many of us are, are completely on board with that. We just have to figure out the specifics. And as you guys talked about, how do I assess? How do I find out what are the specifics on my operation? So maybe a, 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 when I just thought of this, maybe a way is uh, for producers to start to conceptualize this is start to think about writing a story, right? Like my sustainability story. How, what, what things do I do or can I do to help you know, pass it to my grandkids or you know, have an opportunity for my children to come back to this farmer ranch? Um, that's a good way to think about it. I like that. And I, and I like the idea of being able to pass it along, but that ties in all these decisions. And genetics are a great way to kind of tie that together because my genetic decisions in a cow-calf herd I don't change year to year typically, right? I have a plan, I'm moving in a direction. As you guys talked about some of your research, it's important to think about the implications of that plan. And there's some great resources. Rory mentioned if you want to, if you Google Global Roundtable for Sustainable Beef, you can find a lot of their information. The same on the US Roundtable for Sustainable Beef. A lot of good information out there on what should my benchmarks be and what should the chapters be. I'll build on your sustainability story. Uh, what like should the chapters, the chapters be, be in my yeah. sustainability story? 
Well, I'll just mention too that the U.S. Roundtable has some uh, self-assessment guides if you go to their website, and so you can go through some questions and kind of maybe figure out where you could make some changes or do some improvement to uh, make your your operation more sustainable. Excellent. Well, I appreciated visiting with you guys today and learning that Philip's mother was going to bring us cookies after Christmas. Kind of excited about that one. So thanks for joining us, Rory, and, and we enjoyed visiting with you. As always, if you have any questions, thoughts, or things you'd like us to talk about on a future episode, you can send us an email at bci at ksu.edu.